Hello and welcome to Pocket Salon. I'm Juliet Russell. And I'm Helen Bagnall. And this is the third and final of our podcast, previewing the 2014 Transmission Prize, awarded by Salon London for the communication of big ideas. And this year's prize will go to one of eight shortlisted nominees. We've already introduced you to six of them, and in this edition we'll be hearing from the remaining two. Tim Spector is a professor of epigenetics. He studies how changes to our genes caused by personal experience and behaviours, such as smoking, can be passed on to future generations. The fact that these identical twins ended up with very different lives in terms of personality, in terms of diseases, and in terms of exactly when they died made me realise that there's, there's more to life and disease than just which genes you have. And we'll be speaking to geneticist... Arati Prasad, who has examined the way science is changing the rules of sex. If you study the way sex is used, it's not just about procreation at all. There is a community-building, relationship-building aspect as well, and pair bonding or group bonding. I think it's a lot more than just becoming pregnant. We'll be announcing the winner of the 2014 Transmission Prize at Foils in London on February the 6th. The event starts at 7pm and it's a great chance for you to meet the nominees of this year's prize. We've got some great speakers lined up too, including theoretical physicist David Tong, who'll give us his own take on life, the universe and everything. And bibliotherapist Ella Bertou will be on hand to prescribe reading matter to smooth out any bumps you may have in your life. We'd love you to join us. Tickets are on sale at salon-london.com and priced at £12. But first, Tim Spector. A professor of epigenetics, Tim is an expert in how environmental factors and lifestyle choices change our inherited genes. Pretty spooky stuff. Why, for instance, are the grandchildren of smokers more likely to be overweight and diabetic? In his book, Identically Different, Tim explains why he thinks our genes can be switched on and off like a light bulb. He told Salon's Jason Caffrey that his study of identical twins had changed his view of how our genes operate. The fact that these identical twins ended up with very different lives uh, in terms of personality, in terms of diseases, and in terms of exactly when they died uh, made me realise that there's, there's more to uh, life and disease than just which genes you have. Because clearly um, their environments were often very similar, not markedly different and yet they were dying of different things and dying years apart. So you couldn't invoke this because of their genetic susceptibility. And this got me thinking, and so we started a whole series of scientific studies and found that we could explain a lot of the differences between these uh, identical twins by changes chemically to the, their genes, so that the twin with one disease, for example, um, would have a chemical modification to their genes that the other one didn't. And epigenetics is the mechanism by which one's grandparents' behaviour can directly influence one's genes and their behaviour. Epigenetics is better defined as just the chemical changes that influence your genes in the way they function that don't affect the structure of the gene and can last anything from a few months to a few years and potentially can cross generations. So can you give us an example of that? Yes, so one example would be the fact that if your grandparents smoked, 
their genes will have been changed epigenetically. And even if you've never met your grandparents, they died, say, before you were born, those changes to their genes could have been passed on to their children and then on to you without you ever having smoked or having met your grandparents. And therefore, could give you a slightly increased risk of, of lung cancer. That's what we're talking about here. And clearly those risks are less than if you smoked yourself. But nevertheless, it might explain why, although we're seeing a fall in lung cancer, we are seeing an increase in lung cancers in non-smokers. And so is there anything that we can do now to bring about a reversal? Yes, I mean, the nice thing about epigenetic changes as opposed to mutations or structural changes in our genes is that it is, exact, is reversible. And we know this because people who stop smoking start to change these signals in their genes after about three months. And we also know that changes in lifestyle can uh, slowly reverse some of these effects. And there are also a whole range of drugs coming out now that can target these epigenetic changes. And these drugs have been used, uh, for example, in, in cancer as anti-cancer drugs. So there's many more in development. So a combination of changes to our lifestyle and then uh, specific drugs that can actually uh, force these changes give us optimism in the future that once we find out we can actually do something about it. We might be able to slightly reduce the uh, speed at which you age or get cancer. So it's not like we're cloning a new human or anything. What we're doing is we're just uh, modifying the control mechanisms of these genes uh, in a way stabilizing them. In your research, what are the things that are most exciting you now? I think one of the most exciting things is, is now is the links between our diets and how that can affect our genes. The effects of vitamins, uh, which are actually, you know, when you have them in food are beneficial and when you have them by tablets are harmful. And the fact that we can now monitor the effects of our lifestyle through looking at our genes much better than we can just by asking people questions on diet, I think is a, is a really exciting uh, future possibility. So that health screening in the future is going to be really looking at our, these epigenetic changes in our genes on a regular basis to see um, what we're likely to be at risk of and what we can help ourselves with. And then given new diets or exercise workouts and then see a few months later whether it's working by again seeing if those genes have been switched on or off. To me these are the really exciting um, things in our field and uh, you know and there's and it also involves you know, things that we hadn't even thought of like uh, the microbes in our guts and things like this that um, could also be reacting to our diets and also be part of this epigenetic plan. I was going to ask you about uh, bacteria in our guts because I, I saw part of an online lecture that you gave that talked about how much of our makeup that bacteria constitutes. And I'm hoping that uh, when you talk about drugs in the future that can help us, that they're going to sidestep the need for what you describe in that lecture as a poo transplant. Yes, I think the poo transplant is a, a last resort for most people for obvious reasons. And uh, what we're looking at now is whether we can modify our diets, for example, to produce the kind of bacteria that are going to do us more good than harm. The idea is that our Western diets have become so poor that we have a very non-diverse group of bacteria. So that means we have much fewer bacteria than, say, we had 100 years ago in our guts. And we want to increase the diversity. So if we get a much bigger range, 
these will be able to produce all the essential vitamins and uh, minerals we need and prevent many diseases. Professor Tim Spector speaking to Jason Caffrey. I'm not sure I like the sound of a poo transplant. No, it's good. Apparently, you take a sample of poo from somebody who's super fit and healthy, mm-hmm. put it in a magic mix with some water, and then transplant it into your own gut using a tube that goes <laughs> up your nose mm-hmm. and into your stomach. No, but it introduced healthy bacteria into your body, and Tim Spector guarantees it has spectacular results. I'm all for healthy gut bacteria, but uh, can't I just take a pill for that? If I wasn't vegan, I'd just have a probiotic yogurt. Suit yourself. I'm off around James Cracknell's house. (laughs) Well, Tim Spector is not the only person proposing radical science. Our final nominee for the 2014 Transmission Prize is geneticist Arati Prasad. In her book, Like a Virgin, she looks at how science is changing sex, from womb transplants to men and women producing entirely on their own. I think all primates, um, if you study the way sex is used, it's not just about procreation at all. There is a community-building, relationship-building aspect as well, and pair bonding or group bonding. I think it's a lot more than just becoming pregnant. In some primates as well, you can see that there's uh, just an obvious fulfilment of pleasure. It will always be important for many things. Do you think in the future we'll see more unity between the kind of scientific basis for different kind of se- kinds of sexual desire and kind of erotic? Do you think that we should be kind of thinking of them as just one, two parts of a whole? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the whole separation between art and science is quite artificial and it wasn't always the case. That's why science was called natural history in Victorian times and then it, it became to people look at it as two different disciplines but I think like art science and the way I wrote my book and the things I was interested in was really exploring the way I thought and trying to change what people think of as normal and the status quo and in that way I think science and art can be quite similar I mean science will be addressing questions like who is a parent and how are you a parent if you look at surrogacy and IVF and 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 technologies like that and the technologies that are to come in the future that can change what and who a parent is Um, and that's a scientific and sort of medical clinical discussion or patient discussion but it can change society as well because you have ideas um, say the Church of England's refusing to allow gay couples to marry Um, and I think one of the tenets that's based on is where in the Bible it um, refers to um, humans going forth and procreating and being fertile and a man and a man can't be fertile yet but what if they could so I think science can impact on society and you've, you've almost kind of answered my next question but um is this the end for men then given that there are kind of different ways that say women can sort of procreate without the need for men I think on the contrary I think um maybe men won't need women because uh, if you look at technologies like the possibility of an artificial womb, it's something that's been talked about in literature and art and films for for hundreds of years and has captured the imagination. There was a scientist in medieval Italy who tried to grow a baby using a bottle and horse manure. There was no requisite for a woman. And until less than 200 years ago, people didn't even know women had eggs. We had patented the internal combustion engine, but we didn't know women had eggs. Women weren't seen as being that necessary. And now I think, you know, the fact that they have been working on stem cell technologies from which they've been able to generate um, eggs and sperm from 
stem cells. And if you think that you can generate eggs from female stem cells, that makes sense. And you can generate sperm from male stem cells, that makes sense. But it looks like you can also generate egg, eggs from male stem cells. And there you see men are complete with an artificial womb or somewhere to gestate the baby. It could be that movie, not necessary. But uh, I like to, I, I write a lot about the animal kingdom and that's what makes me feel that, uh, that we think of that it, that reproduction only happens in one way and that couldn't be further from the truth. There are all kinds of methods of reproduction and there's several animals who will have sex to have babies if they have a mate, but if they don't find a mate, they'll go ahead and reproduce anyway. Arati Prasad, speaking to Salons and Iska there. I must admit, I found Arati's book absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it was a, a, a riveting read. Yeah, and I think it resonated quite personally actually, but also just how far we've come in terms of sexual relationships and sexual development and how, in some ways, we're bound by our anatomy, but how that's being changed by science. Absolutely fascinating. It's true, and it is so unusual to um, read anything about reproduction, which is factual and isn't through a prism of uh, some agenda. But to just have the facts written down in black and white uh, to draw your own conclusions was just... An incredible piece of work. And looking at where we're going to head within the next kind of 30 years, couple of generations, is really, really spectacular. It is. A lot more ethical debates coming up, which is good for Salon. Absolutely. So that's all eight of our shortlisted nominees for the 2014 Transmission Prize. The other two preview podcasts are available at salon-london.com. So you can find out more about all eight amazing people in the running for the prize. And here's a quick wrap up of all eight. There's something very evocative about the trip to Echo Spring. He just means he's going to get a bottle of Kentucky bourbon. But at the same time, what else does he mean? And that was the question I wanted to explore in terms of writers and alcohol. Why do so many of our writers drink? Sons and daughters of the Caribbean are now totally integrated into English and London life, London and English life. And the idea that the music has become so much a part of what we're doing that now we are creating genuine black pop music. You might think with a 20-fold increase in the number of people using cannabis, there might be some measure of harms which you could find. And the government was desperate to reclassify cannabis from C to B under Jackie Smith and then Alan Johnson. And they clung on to this idea that cannabis causes schizophrenia. And they clung on to it even though we used the best database we have and we showed that there was no relationship, a 20-fold increase in cannabis use had no impact whatsoever on the incidence or prevalence of psychosis or schizophrenia. For me, the Iraq war was a watershed because I just could not understand how so much of the media, so much of the commentariat was sucked up behind this drive towards war once it began. And what lay behind it was this evil rhetoric of the clash of civilizations. We were chatting about the smells that, that could evoke memories of early sexual experiences. Now, I am allergic to latex, and there's only one way, really, to find that out. It's not good. Um, <laughs> so, for me, the smell of one of these is terrifying. But I work a lot with a methylphenidate. You might know it as Ritalin. It is the most common treatment in this country. Uh, when you're using a drug treatment for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And what it does is it boosts these chemicals in the brain called dopamine and noradrenaline. And they're very important for just tweaking and, and, and homing in and, and really getting the best out of your uh, cognition. 
So then neuromodulators, we say, cognitive function. If your grandparents smoked, their genes will have been changed epigenetically. And even if you've never met your grandparents, they died, say, before you were born, those changes to their genes could have been passed on to their children and then on to you without you ever having smoked or having met your grandparents. And therefore, could give you a slightly increased risk of, of lung cancer. That's what we're talking about here. And clearly those risks are less than if you smoked yourself. But nevertheless, it might explain why, although we're seeing a fall in lung cancer, we are seeing an increase in lung cancers in non-smokers. If you think that you can generate eggs from female stem cells, that makes sense. And you can generate sperm from male stem cells, that makes sense. But it looks like you would also generate egg, eggs from male stem cells. And there you see men are complete with an artificial womb or somewhere to gestate the baby. It could be that women aren't necessary. But uh, we think of that, that reproduction only happens in one way, and that couldn't be further from the truth. There are all kinds of methods of reproduction. And there's several animals who will have sex to have babies if they have a mate. But if they don't find a mate, they'll go ahead and reproduce anyway. I'm excited. It's going to be amazing. It's a very, very strong shortlist. They're just such incredible ideas yeah. out there. I thought it was interesting as well how some really fed into others. So you felt you were getting a much bigger picture on some of the subjects. Yeah, it's incredible how our audience seem to absolutely love drugs, um, genetics, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and unusual experiences. I think anything that teaches you about yourself and about how the world might change is very, very exciting. Mm, and that's what we're always hoping to achieve with our salons. So please do join us for the Transmission Prize Giving on the 6th of February at Foyles on Charing Cross Road, London. Visit salon-london.com for tickets. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye and good luck to all our nominees. Yay! <laughs>